When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Picture it. 1985. Mikhail Gorbachev becomes the leader of the Soviet Union. The Golden Girls debut on NBC. Live Aid concerts raise more than $50 million to feed starving people in Ethiopia. Calvin and Hobbes debuts in the funny pages. And pop and rock radio is absolutely packed with hit songs that will remain favorites for decades to come. So join us as the great pop culture debate flashes back to the heart of the coolest decade ever to determine the best song of 1985. Wham put the boom boom into my heart, which means I need to up my blood pressure medication. I'm your host, Eric Resniak. Please welcome my panel for this episode, who, like the Dire Straits album released in 1985, are my literal brothers in arms. That's right. For this extra special episode, you're stuck with not one, not two, not three, but all four Resniak brothers. So get into those family ties, Alex P. Keaton. First, he's the Patreon supporter who sponsored this episode, which was selected because it's music from the year he was born. Please welcome to your life, Chad Resniak. There's no turning back. Or actually, there kind of is since this whole episode is one big nostalgia fest. We built this podcast on hot takes with low stakes. We absolutely did. Next, some boys romance, some boys slow dance. He does neither. Please welcome back material girl, Todd Resniak. I'm all about money for nothing, but I will pass on the chicks for free. Thank you very much. As will I. Our other two brothers are the dire straits in this group. And as you walk on by, will you call his name? Don't forget about Brian Resniak making his podcast debut. Welcome, Brian. Let's get ready to argue. Excellent. And I'm having flashbacks to WrestleMania 1, which also debuted in 1985, by the way. I've argued for years that 1985 was the year that pop culture peaked. So let's see if that pans out in this episode. So how does this work? Although this was a minisode, we did have a public poll of just about every major song to chart on the Billboard Top 100 in 1985. Roughly 50 people filled it out, and they picked their favorites. We ranked those by popularity, added them to a bracket, and now we argue about it and insult each other all for your amusement. And I assume there will be a lot of arguing and insulting in this episode, as I know my brothers. Uh, want to play along at home? You can go to greatpopculturedebate.com and find the polls and brackets tab. There you'll find the listener bracket for this and every episode of our podcast. Make a copy for yourself. That point is super important. Fill it out and see if your picks match up with ours. So before we debate, I want to ask my panelists, what were some of the songs that you were surprised did not make the bracket from 1985? I'm going to start with our Patreon sponsor, Chad. Uh, the biggest, uh, actually two big ones came off uh, immediately for me. Uh, Crazy for You by Madonna, which was featured on the soundtrack for Vision Quest. Mm-hmm. Do you guys know Vision Quest? Of course I know Vision oh, Quest. Yeah, Who Vision do you Quest. think I am? I wasn't sure if it was just me. It's a wrestling uh, movie, right? Yes! Matthew yes. Modine Modine. Matthew Modine Modine, yes. <laughs> anyway, I fucking love that song. Uh, if that was on the bracket, that might have been my number one pick. Like, that's how that's how much I'm for that song. Uh, it was a big song for Madonna, too. Yeah. Um, Easy Lover was yes. another one. Yeah, I don't know Ooh. how that didn't make it. That would have uh-huh. also been really tough to pass on. So um, I hear but, Todd booing in the background. Do you not care for that song? 
I just have flashbacks to the Phil Collins <laughs> episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought he was saying Boo Earns. <laughs> um, it was almost, it almost made it. It was very close. And it's one of my top songs about sluts. And so I was very disappointed. I mean, honestly, though, are there bad songs about sluts? No. I, I can't think of any. Honestly, no. Brian, this is not a joke to anyone listening right now. I have wanted to do a best songs about prostitutes episode since we started. There's a lot. No, there's a ton of them, but Easy Lover's not a bad song. I just I just remember our debate in that episode. So uh, it's far better than Susudio. Just so oh, just, we'll oh, just get that way out there. better. Way, oh. way better. Oh way Jesus. Better. Oh Jesus. Oh, Chad, <laughs> Chad, were there others that you were gonna mention? Uh those are the main ones. I just wanted to do a shout out to uh View to a Kill by Duran Duran. Yeah. Uh from the Bond movie. I actually didn't like that song originally but as i started listening to it it's really catchy and it's actually one of the better bond movies we've been yeah. going back and watching like all the early ones and that that movie is pretty good so That's those are my major ones grace jones and mm-hmm. um christopher, christopher walken, walken. like yeah. his mind is the bad guy right i thought he did a really good job with it though I mean, you can be coked out of your mind and do a good job. <laughs> How do you think I, I get like through you work every day? Kind of um, have to be to be a Bond villain, but yeah, 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 those are the main ones. And that song is a killer. Bond. I also want to do a best Bond theme song episode because I think there's great ones in there. There's those some are, really bad ones too, though. There are some really bad ones. Yeah, um, great picks, Todd. What about you? Um, I guess probably the ones that you know Chad didn't already mention. One of the big ones for me was "Smooth Operator" uh, by Chade. I just think that that's like a song that I feel like everybody knows. I mean, when everybody, when anybody knows or says the word Sade, that's the song they associate with her. So I was kind of a little surprised. It's it's just one of those songs that's just kind of lived for the last few decades. When you're on an 80s station, it's always on. And uh, this hmm? is one of those moments. I think we're going to have a lot of these in this episode where we talk about when we were kids. I distinctly remember mom hearing this song and being like, all of this bitch's music sounds exactly the same. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah if we're going to base any of this on what mom's musical tastes are, we might as well throw this whole episode right out. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Nothing but moody blues. And yeah. then uh, what's his face? Mannheim Steamroller. She and, was and she Mannheim. was a big Huey Lewis fan, though. She liked she her was. Huey Lewis. Billy Joel. Really? Billy Joel. Um, Billy Joel. Yeah. The other one, uh, Lay Your Hands on Me by the Thompson Twins. Ugh, great song. Yeah, so I guess those are probably two. I mean, I have a list of like half a dozen or more here, but those are probably my two biggest. Okay, okay. Brian, what about you? Um, A couple that jumped out to me. Um, Brian Adams, you know, Run to You in Summer of 69. Those Mm -hmm. are both really, really good songs. And honestly, either one of those would have been tough for me to vote against. So I was really kind of surprised that neither one of those cracked. I uh, will tell you. Uh, the summer of '69 was literally number 17. It was yeah. right there. It was. I mean, that is like just such away. a good song. Such yeah. a good song. Um, you know, "Money for Nothing" by Dire Straits. You know, I know you planned on seeing a little bit about that. Uh, I was never an REO Speedwagon guy, but I know they were huge. You know, "Can't Fight This Feeling" was mm-hmm. an awfully big song. It's a great song. Um, and "Born in the USA," which yep. I mean, honestly, it's shocking to me. It was so far down the the, the list yep. because it was like it felt like you couldn't escape that song back at that at that time period. So, I, I feel like the uber patriotism of that song, though, isn't really kind of in vogue with what we're feeling today in politics and in, in the country in general. It's actually not uber patriotic. It's the opposite. If you, oh, it's like, ironic. Yeah. Ooh. If you like, listen to the lyrics, it talks about literally like uh, economic depression, going home to a factory and being shoved, like getting a gun shoved in your hand and killing yellow people. Like that's literally in the song. Oh, my. Yeah, but then the people that are using it don't actually listen to the lyrics and they think that it's like, Oh yeah, super. It's ironically that. 
And wow. I think that's a great point, Todd, that um, I agree with you because that is, I believe, it depends on which chart you look at. I think for the United States, that was the number one album of 1985. Globally, I think it was Dire Straits. Yeah. Um, but the fact that there's no Springsteen on here from 85 is really surprising. And I do think it's because Springsteen has fallen out of vogue. He's just like... And part of that is his own fault, because I feel like there's a point in the 90s where Bruce Springsteen just forgot how to write songs that people liked. It all became very drudgy, like Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and that terrible song from Jerry Maguire, and that Rise Up song. Like, it's just, oh, God. Um, but he was hugely in 1985, and it is surprising that he's not here. Brian mentioned the Dire Straits, Money for Nothing. That was a huge hit and um we did briefly touch before we started recording on one of the scandals with that song which is it does include a gay slur right in there and it's not even like a kind of wink wink nudge nudge gay slur it's a full like two by four to the face gay slur um but that song was not only ever present that video on mtv was groundbreaking it was on all the time. I mean, that was one of the the when you know when MTV launched. That was one of the big ones that just got huge rotation. Yeah, so. because but I think that's partly anything. because the song referenced MTV. Yes, it's true. Blame that that is probably true. Game. There is some some shameless self promotion there. I think it worked for both. Like they, it was kind of a feedback loop where they both benefited from promoting each other. Frankly. Yep. I totally agree with that. But those are very good points, um, Brian. A couple more that I'll add into the conversation. We Are the World by USA for Africa. Like, come on. That was a cultural moment. It is so corny. It is so, like, like you watch it now and you're cringing. But what is more 1985 than that? All of these artists, and I believe, like, are there any, like, female voices that actually stand out from the crowd in that? Or I may be confusing it with Do They Know It's Christmas, where it's, like, a total sausage fest. Wasn't Tina Turner on it? I thought Tina Turner was on it. She's definitely on it, and I'm pretty sure LaToya Jackson is on it, too. But And uh, maybe even um, Diana Ross. But, like, in terms of, like, solos, I'm not sure if there are any female solos in the song. It's almost all... Yeah, I I haven't listened to it in years. I did see it on the list, and I I thought about, you know what, but... You know, it just, it, I mean, you make a good point. It was, it was a huge thing for that time period for sure. Yeah. It, 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 corny as I'll get out, but that's the eighties, baby. Um, we don't need another hero or a private dancer from Tina Turner. This was really the peak of her comeback. Uh, the, the, um, what's love got to do with it came out the year before, but this was like the year of Thunderdome. Uh, this was like she was everywhere in 85 and neither of her big songs made it here, which I thought was surprising. Whitney's How Will I Know came out at the very end of 1985, like literally November 22nd. I checked. So that's why it's not here. It didn't quite crack the Billboard Top 100 for the year, um, but I'm pretty sure if we did 86, it would be towards the top. And then the other one, not really surprising for me, but I thought it was worth mentioning. Mr. Mr. had two huge hits in 85, Kyrie Eleison and Broken Wings. It was the oh, only year good, yeah, good in the history of pop music that they were relevant. They had two <laughs> hits that year, and neither one of them made the top 16. I will put that Well, up. maybe if you didn't have two Madonna songs and two Wham songs, we could have fit some Mr. Mr. in. Uh, so well, Wham songs are pretty good, though. Let's oh. get into that, because this is something that Brian, who admitted he's never actually listened to the show, and I don't judge you for that, Brian. I don't. Um, he's like, what? Well, you picked these top 16. I did not pick those top 16. The voters picked the top 16. Well, I have some choice words for the voters. I'm sure you do. <laughs> um, but I would also counter with, like, 
I don't know how you do 1985 without multiple Madonna songs. That was probably the year that she really, 84 is when Like a Virgin came out, but like the songs were most popular in 85. Yeah. Yeah. Also, don't forget that uh, I also put down here Aretha Franklin was very hot in '85. Yes. She had she had Freeway of Love yep. and Who's Zoomin' Who, and I just love the title of Who's Zoomin' Who. But I mean, you're talking about like somebody like um, Tina Turner, you know, being uh, relevant again in '85 or having a huge moment. So did Aretha Franklin. So that's also kind of a little surprising that n- neither of her songs, or at least neither of those two, were on there. Totally, and I mean, Who's Zoomin' Who is still you know, relevant in pop culture when you're in meetings in the 2020s. So we love Aretha. Um, So that being said, let's get on to these actual debates here. First, the panel unanimously voted to advance ultimate number one seed, Take On Me by AHA. But Chad wanted to speak on four seed, The Boys of Summer by Don Henley. Chad, why will your love still be strong even now that The Boys of Summer have gone? Why don't you take a little minute? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to talk about this a little bit, um, partially because of the story personally behind it for me. I don't know if you remember this, Eric, but based off of how you absolutely incessantly ragged on Don Henley when we were kids, <laughs> I have never taken him seriously as an artist. The Eagles, Don Henley, nothing. And when I was doing some research and watching the video for this, the only thing I could look at is his goddamn lack of earlobes. He has yep. no lobes. He has no earlobes. We call them no lobes. <laughs> so I completely have written off Don Henley until I started listening to music for this. So it's like, holy shit, every song I've heard of his has been good. Um, but The Boys of Summer, specifically for this argument, The Boys of Summer was one of the top songs of that year. Uh, he won Best Rock Vocal Performance at the 86 Grammys for this, nominated for Record and Song of the Year. Um, the song reached number five on the Billboard charts, number one on top 100 racks, uh, the top 100 tracks, uh, and it was number 53 on the year-end Hot 100. Um, and somehow the video won Video of the Year at the 85 MTV Music of Video Awards, even though it was just a bunch of little vignettes and him driving around in a truck. It's, uh, it's, it's time. It's, it's timeless. It's classic. But yeah. also like, that was like the video, like that may have been the first or second VMA. And like, they had no idea what good videos were at that point, even though we had shit like sledgehammer, like a year later, sledgehammer yeah. was a year later, but aha would have been around this time too. Sure. Um, but it might not have been out early enough. But Mm. um, the other little interesting tidbit I found about this is that the song was actually written by Mike Campbell of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, but Tom Petty turned it down. So in one of those little multiverses, there's a version of Boys of Summer recorded by Tom Petty. And I don't, I don't think it works as well for them. I don't think it works. I don't think so either. But I I, I, I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't picture that. I like Boys of Summer just fine. It's just, it was hard for me to, you know, vote that over. It got screwed. The bracket, the bracket screwed it. Yeah. Yeah. I could have, I would have voted Boys of Summer over probably at least half of the bracket, if not three quarters of it. I just couldn't vote it for it over, you know, take on me. And I think this is like we always do this in this uh, in our debates where we kind of talk about our personal rubrics and our personal tastes. And I think, Brian, you would agree that you tend to skew much more rock heavy in your tastes. And this bracket tends to be much more pop heavy. Is that accurate? Yes, yes, absolutely. So Bubble I think gum pop, is, as far as the eye can see. Yeah, so that, that will come into play here. Um, I will also say, Chad, no, Don Henley is an incredible musician, and, and he had great 80s solo hits. Mm-hmm. Um, I, most of the Eagles had great 80s solo hits. Um, Heart of the Matter is also, Heart of the Matter is That's an so amazing good. song. 
Um, the Ataris actually did a really good cover of Boys for Summer too. Oh. So if you're looking for like an updated version of it, the Ataris did a really good cover of it. It's it's funny that you mentioned that because actually I was going to mention that because I remember that's that's what the Ataris are known for. And I remember reading an interview that they did where they were very upset that nobody knew them for their original stuff. They only knew them because of that cover. Well, maybe do better original stuff then. <laughs> I don't that's know if they thought about that. Maybe you should send them an email. Yeah, if you're uh, listening, I'm going to send them. I'm going to send them a tweet. I'm going to yeah. tweet them. There you go. Well, thank you, Chad. That was a very good defense of Mr. Henley. Uh, but aha, take on me will advance. Next, three quarters of the panel can see a new horizon underneath the blazing sky for three seeds sailing almost fire, in parentheses, man in motion, by John Parr. But Todd has a song that's been on his mind, and it's Two Seeds to Studio by Phil Collins. Todd, explain why we should give you a chance, give you a sign that the studio should advance to round two. Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna guess you did not care for that lead-in. <laughs> no, the lead-in was fine. It's the song that's not. Okay. Yeah, I have a feeling I'm not gonna win anything with Brian here. It's this. I'm having PTSD back from when we were kids. <laughs> but um, you know, Tracy's coming for you. <laughs> Look. I understand the Susudio is a dumb song. I get that. Right? What the hell is a Susudio? What is it? Uh, I believe it's the name of a woman. No, yeah, he made I, it up. And it's, yeah, it's just a made up name. But, you know, I, so as I read a little bit more about this song, um, you know, critics did not care for it. Um, not surprisingly, they called it catchy gibberish. I think that it's, I think that that's actually, I would say that that's pretty accurate, but sure. also keep in mind, I mean, I'm somebody who likes, I, I really like the B-52s, for example. Their yeah. stuff I think is catchy, but a lot of it's kind of gibberish, right? It's, sure. it's, you know, but so anyway, um, you know, it's a goofy song. It's fun. It doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, it does have this kind of weird beat that I just don't think you really hear a lot of. Um, I mean, it's very 1985 for sure. One thing I thought, though, was really interesting is that it was also crit uh, criticized for sounding a lot like Prince, which I never really associated that song with kind of a Prince style until I read that. And I kind of get it now. Um, but, you know, it was the first single off of the album. It was a number one song, um, you know, in many countries uh, across the world. And it was also, I thought was interesting, it was, it's also the first song on the album, and I think is one of the stronger songs on the album. I thought that was interesting, that was kind of the lead-off song. Um, but, yeah, it's just, it's one of those that, like, when I hear it on the radio, or when it comes up on my playlist, it, it always just puts a smile on my face, because it's just a fun, good-time song. Yeah. It's, it's not deep in any way, but... One thing I did want to mention about this, however, Eric, I kind of talked to you or mentioned this a little bit earlier was I did find out, you know, that I love Old Dirty Bastard. Of course. Did you know that technically Old Dirty Bastard did a cover of Susudio uh, for a 2001 album called Urban Renewal featuring the songs of Phil Collins? It is a it's like a it's done in like a 70s funk style. And I wanted to read you just a couple lines of lyrics. Please do. Uh this recording is dirty and a stinking, funkier yeah. than funkier than Pepe Le Pew. And then in the second, better than Susudio right now. And then in the second verse, let me continue verse number two. Style is wild, dirty, stinking like doo-doo. I mean, Phil could never. Phil could never. Could never <laughs> such resplendence. So it's a it's a loose cover because really it's just the um like the the chorus. There's yeah. some female singers that sing the chorus. Sure. Um, but you know I lo love my dirty uh, <sighs> treasure. So there you go, Susudio. Thank you. 
Todd, I'm so glad that you gave us that hot piece of information because I was unfamiliar with it. Um, Todd and I absolutely do like un like completely unironically love old Judy Bastard. Uh, we were both heart stricken when we found out that he passed. Um, go, I can't even say the name of his album, the big one, because it's offensive. That's but. correct. You know, it's <laughs> funny when I first heard Old Dirty Bastard, I thought it was like our father. I, I, I figured you were going to go know, there. Yeah, I thought they maybe had like a double life, which he may still have had. He but, may still, know, yeah, a different, With, a different one. Yeah. Although it's funny talking about our father, I distinctly remember um, him watching an MTV news segment in which Old Dirty Bastard <laughs> went. To in a limo to the welfare office in yeah. furs, dripping in jewels with yeah. his family, and picked up his welfare check and uh, got back in the in the limo and flashed at the camera, being like, "America, I'm going to keep taking your money until you can figure out your system. So go fuck yourself." And I have never seen my father more irate. He almost threw that tiny chair we had in the living room against the wall, and I was like, "This man is a hero." That's what I'm saying, right? Old dirty bastard was misunderstood. Yeah. He he was honestly, I sw- I'm telling you, and again, unironically, that guy, he was kind of a genius about this yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, all geniuses are misunderstood. Unapologetic. Yeah. Um, so, yes, RIP, Old Dirty Bastard. Thank you, Todd, for giving me that information I was unaware of. Um, so that's amazing. Brian, do you want to talk about St. Elmo's Fire? I mean, yes, but I'm still going to trash the studio a little bit more first. Yeah, no, so. be, by all means. <laughs> you know, and this is nothing against Todd, you know, but here's the thing. I like Phil Collins. And I actually really like that album. Growing up, that was a big album, and I listened to it a lot. But it's not even, it's probably the fourth or fifth best song on that record. It definitely doesn't belong in the top 16. You know, Take Me Home is on there. That's a great song. It is a great song. Um, Don't Forget My Number, I think, would have, you know, put, put I could have potentially voted for something like that. I just, this song for me is just kind of forgettable. So, um, but... You know, that's, actually kinder, that's actually kinder than I was expecting from you, honestly. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, it's, we, we got a long podcast here, so I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to ramp Ryan, up a little bit. You know, got to, got to slowly comedy. build the levels of aggression until they, to, until they get a fever pitch. You know, if you like Phil Collins, I've got a podcast episode for you. <laughs> I, you know, if only I knew where to find this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I've never even heard about it until today. So here we are. So bitter. So, so, here's, bitter. so here's some fun facts about San Animal's Fire, though. So, first of all, it's just that intro. Um, I don't know. For me, you know, I'm going to take a, a little departure here. I'm normally a pretty, you know, cold person. Um, but when no. it comes to music, music is super emotional for me. It's always been a big thing. And there's just, there's certain songs that just elicit a response. And when I hear that, the intro to Cinema's Fire, like, it just, it brings me back. It just, it transforms me back to, you know, back to the, the 80s, quite honestly. Um it's tied into the movie, which was a pretty successful movie. You know, the Brat Pack was in it, and they were a pretty big deal back in the day. But I know there was a Mr. Mr. reference earlier. I did mm-hmm. find out doing a little research on this. Not that I thought I would need it, because we all know the studio wasn't going wasn't gonna to make the, the grade. So there were actually artists from Toto, Mr. Mr., and Ario Speedwagon, all involved in the recording of St. Elmo's Fire. Oh. I couldn't tell you which ones played which instruments, but according to Wikipedia, they were all on there. So there you go. It's a super group. It's a super group in one song. Yep. Yeah. It was also nominated for a Grammy. Um, so you got that. And honestly, it's just like that song screams 80s. Like, I don't know how you can listen to St. Elmo's Fire and not just be transported back in time. I think both of them in this uh, matchup scream 80s, but I absolutely agree that St. Elmo's Fire is the better song. Chad, where are you on this one? Everyone knows I love my Phil Collins, but I agree with Brian. Susudia is not even the best song on that record, much less the, the best song in this bracket. So I'm all on St. Almost Fire. 
Yeah, and I'd be curious to look at when Susudio and the rest of the singles from that album were released. Uh, was No Jacket required 84? It might have uh, been. It might have I, I think No Jacket Required came out in the very, like January of 85, I believe. Okay. I'm curious then why most of the other songs from that album, which I all of us agree were better, were not in the top 100. But there you have uh, it. The album was released in January, uh, February 18th, 85. Okay. And One More Night was the second single in January. And then Don't Lose My Number was July. And Take Me Home was both. They, those were both in July. What was the okay. lead single, though? Because the lead single would have had to come out in 84. Uh, it's a studio, but they actually released it in the uh, in January '85 too. Oh, okay, gotcha. So there you go. I mean, it was just I think part of it was the release schedule and people not really realizing what songs were going to hit from an album necessarily until they put them out there. So I blame the voters. It's all it, on the voters. As you should, as you should. Yeah. But I believe that is three for Saint Elmo's Fire. Todd, are you sticking with the studio? I am. Look, I'll just say though, real quick. I uh, honestly. With the ship. I have nothing against St. Elmo's Fire. I really, I like, I really do love that song. And that's why I told you when I filled out the bracket, it was really hard because the man in motion is a great song. Um, but I am going to stick with Susudio. It's, it's fine that it doesn't advance. I get it. Um, it. It's a tough, it was a tough bracket. Yeah, for sure. All right. So next two more unanimous decisions for one seed. Everybody wants to rule the world by tears for fears over four seed raspberry beret by Prince and two seed material girl by Madonna over three seed walking on sunshine by Katrina and the waves. Those are unequivocally the correct picks, but I do want to take a moment and talk about both of the songs getting bounced because I think they're both terrific. I know that there are people on this podcast that disagree with me specifically about raspberry beret, but here's some interesting things that I found out about uh, raspberry. Bray Bray. This was Prince's first song following up to his epic Purple Rain movie and soundtrack. And it's a kinder, gentler Prince. And that's very deliberate because he was getting assailed by Tipper Gore and the, what is it, the parents? Oh, the PMRC. PMRC. So yeah, that was were, big back in the day when, I mean, when I first started getting into like the metal stuff, like yeah. that was that was everywhere. Yeah. So she was specifically coming after Prince, uh, Darling Nikki, and a, a couple of her his other songs, which are just gloriously filthy and this is not like this is a very kind of sweet super poppy little song that's probably why i don't like it yeah but like someone said earlier oh todd you were talking about how they were saying that susudio sounded like a prince song and i'm like prince songs all have unmistakable big dick energy all of them susudio does not have big dick energy (laughs) even raspberry beret has big big dick energy and what man doesn't want to go in through the outdoor Like, that's what they're all going for. So that's what I'm going to say about Raspberry Beret. It should still go out to Everybody Wants to Rule the World. And then Walking on Sunshine is actually the oldest song on this top 16, having initially been released in 1983, but it was only released in Canada. And there it became a minor enough hit that it got the band got signed to Capitol Records. They re-recorded it and released it worldwide in 1985, where it became a smash. And even Dolly Parton re-recorded it in 1996. So it that to me is one of my like all-time feel-good songs. Like if you're starting a trip or whatever, you just throw it on the uh, playlist. But up against Material Girl, I'm sorry, there's no contest. So Brian, I know you have strong feelings on Raspberry Beret. Anything else? It, you know what? It's not so much that I have strong. It's actually that I don't. Like, I, I don't know. Prince never connected with me, and I know I'm in the minority on that. I completely get that. Um, That's part of what makes music great, is that there's a million different genres and everything's out there for somebody. Um, But even within, it's kind of the same thing, you know, looking at Susudio. I just think, you know, there's, Prince has better songs than Raspberry Beret, so I just didn't feel justified in voting for it. 
Oh, he totally has better songs. And if you've never listened to Purple Rain front to back, listen to it. Because I think as a rock fan, you might really dig it. Like, there's great, great rock songs on there. Um, And the one thing that I think will appeal to you specifically, Brian, about Prince, and Todd and I discovered this while watching Purple Rain with your friends in Rochester. Remember this, Todd? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. He has a spinoff girl group in that movie called The Vanity Six, led by Vanity. And I, was I like, remember Vanity, yeah. Yeah, I was like, why is it Vanity Six when there's only three of them? And one of us made an offhand remark being like, I wonder if it's because there's six breasts among them. And literally, that is the reason they're called Vanity Six. <laughs> is that feminism? Is that is that what that is? No, and you will find in Purple Rain, the movie, it is decidedly not feminist because at oh. one point, a character is coming up to a man asking why that she ditched him or ditched her after he slept with her. And he literally throws her into a dumpster. Like that's true. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. I was hoping you were, we were going to work that one in. Yeah. It's yeah. like um, all the only things I remember about that movie. All that to say, I really think Brian, that Prince has more for you than you're aware of. And I would yeah. certainly possible. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I can certainly, I can certainly do. I mean, he, I know that he's, you know, as a musician, he's got a, a ton of credibility. So yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't take that away. He Any did a thoughts. He played on a he played on a version of "While My Guitar Gently Weeps." Um, it was for a concert after George Harrison had passed. His guitar solo in that version is just ridiculous. Okay. I mean, that guy could play a guitar, you know, better than almost anybody. Yeah. When it comes to Raspberry Bray, I have to agree with Brian. Like, I, I I like a song. I like dumb pop songs for sure. I think what weighed it down for me is kind of just like he said, he's got better songs. And when you follow up an album like purple rain and the next thing you give us is something that to me is just kind of a throwaway pop song. It, I, and maybe it's unfair to weigh it like that, but it, it just, it, it becomes kind of forgettable. It really is. Another fun fact about the song is when that album was released, he did zero promo for it. It just arrived in shops and he didn't even say, these are going to be the singles. The, the people were like, what songs are we supposed to be playing off this album? And Raspberry Beret was the one they picked because they thought it was the most pop appeal. But it's not like he was like, yeah, release this one, this one, and this one. It was just, here, go, <laughs> icon. Um, t- Chad, did you have anything else you want to say about either of the songs, or shall we move on? Oh, I, I mean, Raspberry Beret is fine. It's just the kind of song you'd hear at a secondhand store. It is. It is. Well done. Uh, well Jesus. done. <laughs> next. Oh, boy. It's going to be a long show. It's going to be a oh, long just show. Just wait for the next argument, buddy. <laughs> next, the majority of the panel wants to board Starship's four seed. We built this city, but Todd wants to write, writhe around the stage in a wedding dress with one seed like a virgin by Madonna. Chad, get knee deep in the hoopla and sink in the fight to push forward city. Todd, see what you can do to get virgin through the wilderness because it really would be lost if it hadn't met you. I'm going to have Chad go first. So this is um, part a little bit of spite vote and part actually like I really do love We Built the City. Um, Like a Virgin just kind of skeeves me out. But that's probably because I feel scandalized if I go outside with my shoulders exposed. Like I just I'm not that type of person. So when she talks about feeling like a virgin and getting touched, I don't know. It's just weird for me. I know I'm repressed. That's fine. Anyway, um, We Built the City is... uh, Brian was was yelling about this at the beginning, like uh, during the warm up. It made me absolute... sound like like the get off my lawn. <laughs> well, you, you have been basically. Yeah, since, uh, where's the, the line? <laughs> if that's my rule, if, if that's my rule here, that's fine. Yeah, embrace um, it. But this this song is absolutely bonkers. Um, even before you watch the video, and if you have not watched the video, go and watch the video. At one point, Abe Lincoln from the Lincoln Monument gets up and like gets into the song starts speaking lyrics it's 
Does that make it better? I don't see how that I makes it better. So. I thought so. Um, but in it, I mean, what can I say about the substance of the song? Not a lot, because it's been widely considered one of the worst songs ever written from the 80s. Uh, Blender did a list of the 50 most awesomely bad songs ever. This took the top spot. Overwhelmingly, I feel, I feel so much vindication right now. Of the 1980s in a Rolling Stone magazine online poll, GQ rated it the worst song of all time in 2016. <laughs> like, it's multiple publications have said this is the absolute worst song of all time. Like it is the bubble gum of bubble gum pop. Like, but I love it. It but, is so catchy. Brian, so you catchy. voted for this over like a virgin, right? I'm surprised. Uh, yes. I, well, I can tell you why. Um, so I took a moral stance against two Madonna songs being in the bracket and I was not going to put two Madonna songs through. So, you so, I didn't, so out of the two Madonna songs, I picked the one I liked the best and I left the other one behind. Oh my okay. Well, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Exactly. And and again, you know, this song, I don't hate this song. Like if it came on the radio, I wouldn't turn it off. Um, but it's just it's 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 vapid, honestly. It's well, just it's, it's, or it's just, is it? it has, no, it really is. It, is. it has a message. It's what's about, what's the message exactly? Yeah. Please help. It is about being knee deep in the hoopla. No, it's actually um, about the decline of live performance clubs in Los Angeles in the nineteen eighties. I would not. Well, I didn't live in Los Angeles in the 1980s, so that message does not appeal to me. But Todd, they they built I, the city with rock and roll, Brian. I would not have gotten that song. I would not have gotten that message. Well, here's <laughs> no, the thing. I didn't either. It is actually all right there because they're always saying corporation games. Uh, like it is right there in the in the text. We might not have gotten it, especially as kids, because we didn't have any sense of it. But it was very much an anti corporate song. And let us not forget, Starship was originally Jefferson Airplane, which was a very political band back in the 60s. Like Grace Slick tried to spike white house tea party with fucking lsd like that's who's the singer on this song correct but that was the 60s this is the 80s i mean this to me is just straight up sell out we need money i need to pay my mortgage was this song in mannequin or did they they did a song for mannequin didn't how dare you how dare you no one's gonna stop us now oh okay which is essentially the exact same song with different lyrics oh my god i am appalled (laughs) i am deeply offended i'm here to drop hot takes baby hot takes (laughs) low stakes that's right low stakes hot takes so before we get to that todd i do want you to do your defense for like a virgin I mean, I don't even know how I... I'm surprised that I have to defend this song. You tell like, them, Todd. Like, like you said, I mean, We Built the City is so vapid. It, and, and again, I love dumb, like, cheesy pop songs. And it's really dumb and it's really cheesy. And Grace Slick did interviews into the 90s where she basically disavowed everything she did with Jefferson Starship. And she realized it was essentially garbage. It's not a terrible song, but I don't know how you choose a song like that over a song like Like a Virgin. I mean... It's an, it's just it's an iconic song. When you think of Madonna, you think of like a virgin. You think of Material Girl, Ray of Light. I mean, she's got a lot of them, but this is certainly one of those iconic songs. Is this? I don't think I think song. of Ray of Light. I got to be honest. Well, whatever. It's another podcast, but um, it you know the video also iconic. Her in the wedding dress with the lion and uh, you know on the gondolas and all that stuff. Um, it's just it, she's had such a long career. Um, that she's had so many giant hits, and yet this still reigns like high among the elite of her of her hits. Uh, it was her first number one song um, in the U.S., and I think that this a lot of people do attribute this to being like what solidified her as being, you know, the a, a giant uh, superstar, you know, in in the musical business. Sure. Um, 
it was empowering for women. It was something that I think obviously would is considered tame now, but in 1985, I think it definitely turned some heads with its lyrical content and the message that it uh, that it evoked. Um, but I just it, it's kind of a head scratcher to me that you know this is losing to we built the city. Quite frankly, well, if it helps, Todd. I know I said I wouldn't do this, but I honestly, I'm I'm probably going to switch my vote. No. Only only because, like I said, I just didn't think it was right to have two Madonna songs in the top 16. I just, I just, I, I felt that that was wrong. I, um, I get that it's the voters. I get it. It's just if there's only 16 spots, two, you know, there shouldn't be two songs from the same artist. And by the way, um, Chad was talking about uh, how the, I guess, um, <laughs> all of the different publications that have given it raspberries for, uh, you know, for We Built the City. Um, Rolling Stone and MTV voted it the fourth best song in their 100 greatest pop songs. Uh, this is all like a version, like, you mean? Yes. Yes. So Rolling Stone and MTV voted it the fourth best song in their 100 greatest pop songs in like 2003. Um, and it was, let's see, it was number one for six weeks in the U.S. Um, and also, I, I, I looked up cover versions for all of my uh, all of my debate choices. Um there's some really interesting ones. The Meat, a group called the Meat Purveyors, did a partial cover of this in a bluegrass style um, as part of what they call the Madonna Trilogy with Lucky Star and Burning Up. Not uh, not recommended. No. Um, there's a 20 no ray of light in there, though, huh? No. <laughs> there was a, uh, there was That's a, shocking. There was a 2014 cover by a singing nun who was a winner of The Voice in Italy you that she released as her debut single that even Madonna heard and um, like endorsed it. It was actually quite good. And Brian Motley Crue did a version in 2019. And I would also oh, not recommend, right. I would not recommend that version. Uh, I'm sure you wouldn't. And I'm not sure I would either. At this Motley stage Crue. of Motley Crue's career, I'm not sure I would recommend but 2019 Motley Crue. I think that's a, a far pass. That but is the definition that, of a Motley Crue. Yeah. But to that point, I do think that there is something to be said for, I mean, you look at a song like, like a Virgin that has been covered, you know, numerous, numerous times. I would be very curious to know how many people have bothered dusting off We Built This City to cover that. My guess is it was on not Glee. many. You hateful bitch. No, I'm just wow. kidding. Uh, I'm kidding. Um, honestly, Todd, I had the same stance that Brian did, which was uh, looking at it from a long con. I was like, if I have to put my weight behind one Madonna song, I'm going with a Madonna song that I'm, I have a really close connection to, and that's Material Girl. Like a Virgin is everything you said. It is super relevant it is critical to her career all of those things but i was like if i can only push one i'm pushing material girl i am fine if brian's switching his vote it ultimately doesn't matter because it's like a virgin is a one seed and it would advance even with only two votes if we're tied i was gonna ask what happens if we have a yep. tie so the the seeds then come in and is a one seed like a virgin would would continue yeah i'm honestly after everything, after getting off my, you know, get off my lawn deal about having two Madonna songs, if you just look at the quality of the individual songs, I definitely think Like a Virgin is a better song. Okay. Well, Chad, I think you did as good of a job pushing We Built the City as you could. I do want to say that Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now is nowhere near the same as We Built the City. It is amazing. It, and if that was on this, I would be pushing it towards the final four, to be honest. Starship oh, let you down. You didn't let Starship down. That's they right. let you down. That's, that's the important thing to take away. I just, I, it's fine. My you fought the good fight. You fought the good fight. Busted. It's fine. Yeah. 
All right. So with that being said, we will be moving like a virgin along. Next, another unanimous victory, this time in a battle of Euro pop hits. As three seed Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Minds, silenced four seed Shout by Tears for Fears. Next up, three quarters of the panel wants one seed Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go by Wham to advance to round two. But Brian has questions. Specifically, he wants to know what love is with four seed Foreigner. I don't want to alarm anyone, but I'll rep for Wake Me Up. Brian, take a little time, take a little time to think things over and then argue why foreigners should advance here. I'll have Brian go first. I'm actually going to take a very little time because we're we're probably running very long. You're fine. Um, So here's the thing. I actually don't like foreigner and I don't particularly like this song. This was another one of my get off my lawn moments where I didn't want to vote for two wham songs. And I honestly think careless whisper is a much better song. So by, you know, extension, I just voted against wham is essentially what happened. That being said, I will still give you some information about the song. Um, so it is Foreigner's biggest song, their biggest hit, and they are obviously a pretty relevant group for a very long time. Rolling Stone has it as one of their top 500 songs of all time, which seems like a big deal if you care about Rolling Stone. I haven't cared about Rolling Stone in years. Um, and, you know, I do live in Rochester, New York, and Lou Graham, singer for Foreigner, uh, born here. So he is a Rochester guy. So I guess I can, you know, tote the, the hometown deal for him. But I can't honestly tell you it's a better song. Um, it's not my favorite song. I just didn't want to vote for two Wham songs is what it came down to. I think that's fair. Um, I will say that it is a great rock song, right? It is a great vocal. It is very singable. It is soaring, right? And it feels sure. distinctly 1985. I'm not going to say anything against specifically this Foreigner song. And they have a couple other really good hits from the 80s. Um but I fucking love Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. Like, this is a song, as a kid and as an adult. (laughs) Maybe vapid. This this may be the most bubblegum of all the bubblegum. Like, this this is, like, this is bubblicious, Hubble Bubble, you know, all of it. It's, 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 there's, there's no meaningful value to this song whatsoever. But why is that a bad thing? I'm not saying it is. I'm just, I had to put it out there. Sure. So let me drop a little knowledge about this song specifically. Like Susudio and Wake Me Up Before You Go Go should be best friends. They probably are. They probably are. Yeah. So while Wham had already had big success over in Europe with songs Club Tropicana, Wham Rap, and Young Guns, all of which are amazing, by the way, if you've never listened, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go was their first hit in America. And for the entire year of 1985, it was the number one three single on the Billboard Hot 100 single chart. I think it had cross-generational appeal. Like it appealed to kids that were our age, except for Brian, apparently. Um, It appealed to our moms because it had a kind of throwback vibe to it. Um, The song title was inspired by a note that band member Andrew Ridgely left for his mom to wake him up before she left for work. But when George Michael wrote the song, he made it about a guy who is bummed that his girlfriend doesn't wake him up before she goes out dancing, probably screwing other guys behind his back. I mean, talk about the George Michael story. Um, Let's talk about the video, which is almost violently cheerful with George Michael in his neon shorty shorts and his Choose Life sweatshirt, bleach blonde, floppy hair. The faggotry was palpable. 
And like, we didn't even know at that point, but it was right there, like clear as day. I mean, Um, I think people knew, I think, I mean, I think at least some people at least knew, but whatever. I mean, that doesn't, that's not relevant necessarily to the song. It's relevant to me because that was some big gay ass energy coming at me. (laughs) And I I was like, I am into this. I think the U S was collectively blind in the (laughs) eighties. True. You look at, I mean, like you look at some of the, the acts are out there and to have people that were genuinely surprised and shocked when they eventually came out as bisexual, gay, whatever, you know, you look back in hindsight and like, I feel like we really should have caught this before now. Barry Manilow was a gay man. Right. Classic I mean, I think honestly though, I think you got to remember that time and in, in place. I just, it, that just wasn't like, it just wasn't talked oh, about. It wasn't sure. discussed. It was, you know, it just wasn't a big part of, let's say, pop culture. I think, you know, people were afraid for that kind of stuff, that it could potentially ruin their careers and stuff like that. Totally. So so it was kind of kept, you know, what was just left unsaid. Yeah. And I mean, if you listen to George Michael's 90s stuff, it's right there in the lyrics. Like, oh, yeah. Freedom, the whole lyrics are about, like, I was hiding myself because I wasn't sure it was going to happen in my career. And I sold out. And now I'm back. And I'm trying to just, like figure out who who I am. It's actually really amazing. Um, all that being said, I'm going to put it to a, f- a vote. But first, in conclusion, I have one thing to say. Jitterbug. All right. Uh, Chad, where are you on this one? Uh, I actually don't like Foreigner. It just strikes me as like Dollar General Journey. Ooh. And every time I hear Foreigner, I'm just like, I wish this was Journey instead. Mm. What so, about Great American uh, Journey? <laughs> the great no, Great American might even be <laughs> above that goddamn place. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely a go- Dollar General is probably going to sue you. That's fine for again more exposure. I think they well they think they sell stuff over a dollar, but that's all right. It's true. It's generally a dollar. Um, Todd, where are you on this one? I want to say that Brian convinced me to change my vote, but that would be a lie. <laughs> I think you guys just hate him because you know I've been right so much, but nope. that's okay. But you know, again, like I said, like I mean, I think out of all of these songs, there was maybe one that I really don't like all that much. It's it was really hard to choose yeah, um, between right. these songs. So this, you know, I want to lo- know what love is. Is a it is a good song. You know, foreigner, not my biggest thing um, at all, but I do like it. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna s- stick with my vote. All right, wake me before you go. Go advances to round two. And finally, in round one, another unanimous victory as Guilty Feet will carry two-seed Careless Whisper by Wham right into round two. But first, Chad would like to hop in the DeLorean and explain why three-seed The Power of Love by Huey Lewis in the News still has the juice to transport us through time. Chad, what did you want to say? Channeling my inner Patrick Bateman, do you like Huey Lewis in the News? <laughs> uh, I do, but just not really the song. It... um so I'm kind of strange in that I've listened over the years to a lot of heavy metal. And then I just have a couple of random like pop acts from the 1980s that I listened to mostly for nostalgia purposes. And this is totally a deep cut from our childhood. I heavily associate Huey Lewis in the news with going to an enchanted forest water safari ah, where the fun never stops. Oh, my God. oh God. Right. Um, <laughs> and so like I went through and listened to their whole discography and they've got so many better songs. So when I saw this on the bracket, I'm like, really this one, um, going back and listening to it is actually better than I gave it for, but, uh, it was pretty popular just based off of its interactions with, uh, back to the future. Sure. So it was actually featured in the, in the movie where when they, uh, when Marty McFly's band was doing the audition, they played like a heavy metal rendition of this and Huey Lewis himself was the guy that like was the, the, the leader of the audition that told them that they were too dang loud. Um, but it did very well. It, uh, was 
it was performed at the 86 Grammys. It was nominated for record of the year. Um, and it's number 366 on the Billboard Top 100 all time. So it's a pretty popular song, but against Careless Whisper, that's just that was tough. Tough. What song. would be your What would be your go to Huey Lewis in the news song? Uh, I really like Jacob's Ladder, even though it's not like mm. one of their most yes. um, the biggest song. ones. It's a good it's song written by Bruce Hornsby. Uh, um, oh, but, Bruce Hornsby. That's what right. I'm talking about. Well, now I'm going to retract Hornsby's that. Version is terrible, by the I way. I believe that. Uh, but Jacob's Ladder is a really good one. Yeah. Um, Forest for the Trees. Like uh, Four is just a better album than, sure. than yeah. Sports was, and that didn't come out until a few years after this. So those are the those are kind of my go tos. I also wanted to point out real quick. I think this is probably the right time, but I mean, wasn't if I'm wrong. I, I, I don't think I am though. Look, weren't at least four of these songs that were featured here on soundtracks? Like this was a big. 1985 was a big year for like soundtrack songs being just huge, massive hits. It was, sure. and soundtracks themselves in the 80s were critically important part of the music landscape. And if you have not listened to our best 80s soundtrack episode yet, I encourage you to find it. We go into all of them and it's it's a slugfest because there are that some seems like a shameless plug oh it's absolutely shameless i covered of my shame that was surgically removed decades ago Hide um, your shame. yeah exactly but no it's it's a good episode and like i do we definitely talk about back to the future in there for sure um there are there are some incredible soundtracks from the 80s that are themselves like super listenable albums even if you have nothing to do with the movie they're just Great collections. So, yeah, Brian, I'm curious, what's your go-to Huey Lewis? Um, you know what? I don't know that I have a go-to, but the first one that pops in my mind is I Need a New Drug. Yeah. Same you know, that, um, that was probably the first one that jumped in my head. Not hip to be square for whatever reason. Shocking, I know. But, uh, oh. no, I Need a New Drug would be, I think, the one that pops in my head. I do love hip to be square though. The, the kind of ending kind of bridge to that song is terrific. So that being said, I actually do love the power of love. I think it's a great song. I think it's a great Huey Lewis song. It's a great 1985 song. It's up against careless whisper. So, and as much as I don't like wham, I'm not here to to talk trash about careless whisper. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes. So that is is it for round one. We're going to take a quick break to try some of this delicious new Coke. And we will be right back after these messages. Welcome back to round two of our best song of 1985 debate. Before we get to round two, let's discuss how listeners can find you Goonies on social media. Brian? Um, I'm on Twitter at It's The Rez. R-E-Z, I guess, would be the important thing there. Yes, it's always important to spell our name. Uh, Todd? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Todd Resniak. It's very original. So uh, oh, you, got, you crushed that one. Yeah. So T O D D. I don't. I don't get it when people spell Todd with one D. Yeah. Uh, R E Z. Todd's with one D. Is this no. no good? Exactly. R E Z S N Y A K. I'm also on Instagram, and again, uh, my name there is also Todd Resniak. So. Yeah. He's right. Remarkably on top. consistent. Yeah. Uh, consistency. That's what you get with me, baby. Chatty. <laughs> Uh, I have a Twitter. I never use it uh, at C Resniak, I believe it is. And Todd already spelled it. I think mostly I just follow chemistry stuff. Um, Mm. I I think an Instagram exists. I hardly ever use that either. Uh, It's probably the same, probably the same uh, handle. I I don't social media a lot. At I'm going to take a weird guess that you're not going to get a ton of extra followers from this. At Kresniak. No. And if I did, it'd probably be a little bit weird. But if you guys want to come on over. 
Perfect. Learn about chemistry from Dr. Chad. Chad's and next podcast topic will be best phosphate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard. They're all so good. They're all so good. And for me, you should definitely follow at Great Pop Culture Debate on Instagram and TikTok and at Culture underscore Debate on Twitter. Feel free to follow at Eric Resniak on Instagram and Twitter as well. So let's move on to round two of these debates. First up, it looks like Take On Me by AHA is poised to win the pipe punch fight against St. Elmo's Fire, parentheses, Man in Motion, by John Parr. Chad, why can you still feel St. Elmo's Fire burning inside of you? Todd, don't shy away. Explain why Take On Me shouldn't be gone in in a round of two. I am screwing up these intros, so bear with me, folks. Uh, I'm going to have Todd go first on Take On Me, which we have not yet discussed. Uh, It... I don't, what is there to say about Take On Me? Honestly, I mean, in terms of like a song, it's just one of those, I would say it's not quite on the same level as the studio in terms of being a dumb pop song. Um, I don't know that I would say that it's got a huge like message to it, but the song itself is is kind of huge and, and grand in its production. Um, as I was kind of researching this, Something that really struck me, I did not know this, was that they actually released this in 1984, originally in a couple of countries, and it failed really hard. And so I actually went and found, um, and you can find it on you know most streaming platforms, but I found a version, the 1984 version, and I listened to it. And honestly, it's really not that that different uh, from the version that became a you know international smash hit. Um, but it's an interesting historical artifact, and I think people should kind of um, seek it out and listen to it just to kind of get a feel for it. Um, you know, the it ranked number one in multiple countries, including the U.S. Uh, it's a song that I think is iconic, both uh, not just for the song, but also for the video. I don't think that either um, of those two mediums really kind of detracted from the other. I think this, the video kind of bolstered the song, and the song bolstered the video. Um, it's really hard to kind of uh, disentangle, though, the two at this point, right? They're both, I think, so well-known together, uh, especially with that mix of the the animation, the, the black and white animation. Um, so it's just, it's a song that's, it's both well-known for the song and the video. It's something that I think most people, if they're in the car alone and they hear the song come on, everybody tries to hit those like high falsetto notes because it's just a fun fun thing to try and do. And, uh, and yeah, that's it. Um, fun fact, there is, a, there is a remix by Kygo that was came out in like 2015. It adds a Caribbean feel to the song, which is also very interesting. And I would uh, recommend people check that out as, you know, if you want to hear just something a little bit different with that song. So I'm curious, can you explain to me how the earlier version is different from the one that we know? Like, is it less synthy or... Yeah, it's it's actually, it's really interesting. The beginning part is definitely less synthy for sure. Um, you know, the basic tune definitely sounds the same, but it, it, it's, there's definitely not as much production in the early part, but then there's a, the mid song break where you have like in the, the well-known version, it's, you have the synthesizer going do, 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 you know, all, all that stuff. Um, oh, can mid- you do that again for me? Please? Yes. <laughs> do, 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 do. Uh, that's it. That was perfect. That sounded, it sounded like, a ninja, I love it. Sounded like a ninja Gaiden song. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now can you falsetto the chorus for me, please? <laughs> Uh, that's another podcast. The, uh, but the mid song break, this was, I thought was really interesting was a mid song break, um, in the original version, the 1984 version is just really bizarre. Like it, it just sounds like it does not match the rest of the song at all. It's very jarring. Um, but I mean, the vocals are pretty much the same. 
Uh, like I said, the actual composition of the song is the same. So there's areas where it's actually less produced, and then there's areas where it feels like it's more produced than the well-known version. It's it's interesting. It's not fundamentally that different, but I can understand why people took a shine to the 1985 version more than the 84 version for sure. Yeah. Well, I'll have to check that out. Thank you. That's really interesting. Honestly, though, if, if it wasn't for the video, I don't know that the song ever reaches the status that it did. I still think it's a hit because it's, it's a super great song. catchy. I, I mean, Take On Me is awesome. It's absolutely nothing like Susudio. So yeah. I don't know where that came from. I, You're still trying to stop for Susudio. Like, that, that needs to end. But I mean, <laughs> the video is like, I mean, it's, it's a, it is a perfect marriage. Yeah, for sure. Chad, talk to me about uh, the Man in Motion, St. Elmo's Fire, parentheses, John Parr. So you already talked a little bit about my credentials as a as a chemistry professor. So I feel compelled to talk a little bit about what St. Elmo's fire actually is. Okay, yes. Yeah. So we, Are we, we really doing this? Is I, this really I'm excited. Nice, bitch. Strap in, y'all. Strap in. Uh, so St. Elmo's fire is named after St. Erasmus of Formia, who is known as St. Elmo and is the patron saint, uh, patron saint of sailors. I just want you to know I'm picturing Elmo from like, like from like <laughs> Sesame Street. Street. Yes. As a saint. That's exactly. what the picture so honest, I hope that helps you th- this explanation actually kind of ruined it for me because that had been my my imagery is like elmo literally with his hands on fire but unfortunately no um, oh, that's dark the the phenomenon itself involves uh an electrical arc when you have uh so like if you've got a ship in a thunderstorm the clouds and the top of the masts have an electrical discharge between them and that causes the like bluish glow which is associated with saint elmo's fire yeah Everyone just clicked off this podcast. No, That's what I just happened. super interesting. So you're saying that St. Elmo's Fire is a reference to the blue glow being given off by a lightning strike? Uh, it's not exactly a lightning strike, but it's a potential. But yes, it's like the uh, molecules are getting stripped of electrons and that causes them to uh, emit light, which is that bluish glow. And you had me at molecules and electrons. You yeah. had me right there. Yeah, well, well just that's fascinating. That was, that was interesting, but what does that have to do, I guess, with the song? Nothing uh, at all. Fucking awesome. Zero. What it is. Um, the what I really like about this song versus Take on Me, and don't get me wrong, I love Take on Me. Like it's uh, when we first were burning CDs way back in the day. This was the first song that I was like, Toddy, make me a CD of this, and it was the first song on the eighty CD that you made for me, and it was great. That's um, true. That is true. But we've talked on this podcast. I think it was the Phil Collins episode with Kate Reculia about there are songs that are bops and there are songs that are bangers, and Saint Elmo's Fire parentheses man in motion is the only certified banger on this list it's the only banger that we have left in the bracket and so as somebody who's a little bit more rock oriented like myself and brian i feel the need to stump for it and to try and push it forward um the lyrics i also really like the lyrics versus take on me because take on me like i don't know I, I don't really get what that gets at. Whereas the lyrics for St. Elmo's Fire are very much about determination, overcoming odds. They were inspired by a Canadian athlete who was going around the world in his wheelchair to raise awa- awareness for spinal cord injuries, which was called the Man in Motion Tour, which is where oh. the name comes from. Okay. Um, and the director, Joel Schumacher, for the movie St. Elmo's Fire, distinctly told John Parr not to use St. Elmo's Fire in the lyrics, which he obviously promptly disregarded. So I just think it was a nice little fuck you. Uh, the the lyrical content, like when this song comes on, I just I just feel like I can cross the highest mountains and cross the wildest seas, and that Saint Elmo's fire is burning in me, burning. That's, you might want to get that checked. Exactly. Yeah. They have a cream yeah. for that. There's, there's like there's gotta be a clinic burning. somewhere near you yeah. that you can go. 
Um, Joel Schumacher, would that be the same guy that like destroyed the Batman franchise the it first would. time around? That was my yeah. question. Put nipples on the bat suit. Absolutely. That was my question. Yeah. That was actually yep. the high All right, point. So now I'm voting even harder. I'm voting even harder against that song. I have to say, <laughs> let the record show I am pro bat nipples. Even Batman needs nipples. Um, Absolutely. What I was going to say though, Todd, you said like, what does it have to do with St. Animal's Fire? Like, I think actually Chad, as a science anecdote, answered the question. It's about that moment before something strikes, right? It's like you're about to catch on. It's about to happen for you. That's what St. Elmo's Fire, the movie, is about. It's 20-somethings that are, like, about to launch their careers. So I actually do think that it is all completely relevant. Um, Brian, where are you on this? Um, listen, I voted for St. Elmo's Fire in the first round because I love that song, but it's not Take On Me. Yeah, it's it's super simple. Take on me was going to be one of my top four, no matter what happened. Yep. So it, there's really very little you could do to talk me out of that. Okay, Todd, you're sticking with take on me. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate. I, honestly, I think Chad, you did a you did a great job uh, yeah. defending defending Saint Elmo's Fire. You made it really hard. Um, I just think 1985, like you said, this was a banger. 1985 wasn't probably well known for being heavy on rock or or you know great um, you know rock songs. So, unfortunately, no, I'm still sticking with my choice. Take on me. I think if we did song of like 1988, it would be predominantly rock songs. So this was just a very heavy pop year. I'm sticking with take on me, but Chad did an excellent job defending uh, man in motion, St. Elmo's fire parentheses, bat nipples. Um, So we are advancing (laughs) take on me by aha next in a battle of pop domination. The panel is currently set to advance tears for fears. Everybody wants to rule the world, but they can't raise my interest. So I'll just walk away with Madonna's material girl. Brian, help me to decide, help me to make the most of freedom by pushing rule the world. I will explain while some boys kiss me, some boys love me. I just think they're okay because I'm still living in a material world. Brian, why don't you go first? I think for me, um, everybody wants to rule the world. It just has if you if you really get into the lyrics and read the lyrics, um, it's it's a little darker. There's some more contemporary themes at play. It's not. I know I've used the word bubblegum a bunch, but I just I'm not a bubblegum person. I like stuff that's got some meat to it. I just feel like there's some more meat. There's more substance to it um, for its time. I mean, you could actually consider it kind of edgy um, because of the subject matter, and it's it's still relevant today. Like if you went and put that song on right now, which I did a couple of hours ago, and listen to the words and think about what's going on in the world right now, a lot of that stuff is still very, very much in play in the in the world that we're in right now. Um, and then I love a good movie tie-in. I guess I'm just a sucker for that because a bunch of the stuff I voted for has movie ties. Um, it's not on the soundtrack for Real Genius, but Real Genius, which is a super underrated movie by, by yep. the way, no one's yep. ever watched it. Yep. Really great Val Kilmer. Yep. Um, that movie or that song comes right in at the end of the movie. And it's just perfect. Um, there's just the way it comes in, the intro to it, it just fits so well. And I feel like that just reinforces it that much more in my brain. Um, there's just something about that song that I just, I, every time I hear it, I, I'll listen to it the whole way through. I'll, I'll never, ever skip it. And I think it's important to point out when it comes in in that movie, that movie ultimately is about brilliant kids at a college being conscripted into making war weapons for the government. And they realize what's going on. And so they kind of, through wacky hijinks, kind of screw everything up in what was supposed to be a military application. And so that song's really poignant where it's just like, yes, everybody is trying to rule the world, but you don't have to go along with it. And you can just say, fuck you. So this is one of those ones you talked about how the bracket sucks and it's making terrible decisions. This is a terrible decision because I love this song. It's terrific. I have no notes. Um, It's just up against Material Girl. And my argument basically is going to come down to this. 
we cannot have a final four without a Madonna song in it in the best song of 1985. I don't understand how that's possible. And when I initially put this together, I thought like a virgin was going out in round one. It's not now. So there is hope for the, for this, uh, in, for Madonna in the uh, final four, but I'm still repping this one because of the two material girl is by far my favorite Madonna song. She herself is actually not a fan of it. She tried to distance herself from it for a while, actually, because she didn't like its materialistic message, even though the whole thing's super tongue in cheek. Um, but to me, I was buying everything. The song was selling. The lyrics are great. The delivery is great. The video is iconic. Like it, it inspired so many knockoffs, right? It is itself a reference to Marilyn Monroe, but there have been countless other artists who have then replicated this video referencing Madonna's and to me it's just I think a perfect Madonna song in that it is kind of owning sexuality as a woman and while she got a lot of criticism for it at the time for oh it's such a gold digger anthem like look at the Instagram world we live in now this is pretty tame by comparison so well sure because it was made in 1985 but i mean if madonna herself isn't gonna rep the song i don't know why you would i think she's become less strident about it but i still to me like i i think it's everything it is a perfect pop song and i loved loved every second of it chad where are you on this one uh, everybody wants to rule the world as my ultimate winner, so I'm definitely sticking with that. Oh, one. nice spoiler alert! Really good. <laughs> it's okay. You can go ahead and, and tip your cards, Todd. Where are you? Um, I'm. I'm. Everybody wants to rule the world. Okay. Um, I, I understand. Song wise, it is the better song. I think from a macro level, knocking out Madonna before Final Four is crazy. From a well, we still, like, to your point, though, Madonna still has the song alive. There you go. And you can thank me for that because I'm the one that switched my vote. So, you know, well, technically, I'm responsible for Madonna still being alive. And now you're about to snuff her out because next the panel is unanimous and it's support of Simple Minds, Don't You Forget About Me, over Madonna well, Like a Virgin. So I would no. again, I would again point to the voters and say, shame on you, voters. <laughs> shame on you. <laughs> um, I, I think it is crazy. Truthfully, crazy for you, in fact. Um, um, which is also a great song. I, that's great actually, song. honestly a really good Madonna song. I will. I absolutely yeah. love that song. If that was on here. This would have been. That would have been Final Four easy. Yeah. But it is crazy to me that a song of. You should do. You could do a whole podcast just on Madonna if you want. We did. Well, it's they actually, did. But yeah. you should I was told this was the first episode of this podcast. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, the Madonna's episode, by the way, is part of our season zero, which is super booger, and it was like our practice rounds. Uh, and it's only available if you're one of our Patreon supporters. So if you have not listened to that, you will listen to it and be like, "Wow, this is terrible." And it was, but we did do best Madonna song is one of our first ever episodes. Um, which song won? Just out of curiosity. Honestly, I don't remember, but I think it might have been like a prayer. Mm. Oh, that's a really good choice. That's yeah, a really it wasn't good Ray of Light. I can tell you that. It wasn't? Yeah, Ray of Light. What the hell? <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So moving on, finally in round two, it's a wham-off, which sounds delightfully filthy, as it's Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go versus Careless Whisper. Todd, hit that scorching saxophone solo for Careless Whisper. I will choose life for Go-Go. Todd, why don't you go first? I I think it's really difficult to think of a song that sounds both more like quintessentially 80s, but yet also kind of bizarrely timeless. And I think that Careless Whisper does that. I really do. Uh, the opening sax riff, uh, is it's, be it's beyond iconic. I don't know if there's another word that goes kind of above the word iconic. Um, but if there is one, that's that's that sax, that sax solo. 
Uh, the tempo's perfect. The vocals are clear. They're they're clean. They're crisp. It was a massive hit. Um, this is an absolute karaoke favorite. I've heard this. I can't tell you how many times at bars when I go to you know karaoke nights and and people are singing it. Um, it did actually manage to sag, snag a spot on Billboard's Hot 100 60 Year Recap that they published in 2018. I believe it hit something like 162 out of the top 500, which, again, that's pretty impressive when you consider 60 years worth of uh, singles and songs that were being ranked. Um, I, I mean, there's not really much more for me to say about it than that. I just remember hearing that opening song or that opening uh, sax and always thinking as a kid that there was something like. I wasn't getting about this song and that it was secretly dirty and I just wasn't getting it. Cause it kind of sounds like that saxophone kind of sounds like something you would expect to hear in kind of maybe like a porno or something like that from that era. Um, fun fact, German thrash metal band Trader did a cover of that song. And I would certainly recommend people listen to that because if you didn't know you were listening to Careless Whisper, you wouldn't know you were listening to Careless Whisper. Um, there's there's actually a much better cover. I mean, I haven't listened to that cover, so I shouldn't say that. But Seether did a great cover of Careless Whisper. It's excellent. It's really, really good. So, again, if you're looking for a little bit more punch than the, the typical Careless Whisper, excellent, excellent cover. It's yeah, I mean, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, just, I mean, like, if you're, if you're comparing Wham versus Wham, you know, wake me up before you go, go. Sure. It's a fun pop song, but I mean, if you're looking for something where I feel like it all just comes together at a, at a different level, I just feel like careless whisper is on another level when it comes to like the songwriting, the production, all of it. Um, it's, it's just, you know, way above wake me up before you go, go. Yeah. So you actually mentioned something where like when you were a kid and you would hear careless whisper, it would make you feel kind of uncomfortable because you're like, I'm not sure I'm supposed to be listening to this. Like there's something to it that, you know, is very adult. And so one of the things when I was approaching this bracket was like, okay, yes, this is a song of 1985. Am I judging this Eric in 2022 or am I judging this Eric in 1985? Eric in 1985, no question is going wake me up before you. And so that's part of why I voted for it here. But if we're talking Eric in 2022, there is no question Careless Whisper is the correct answer. It is the better song. It is a fantastic pop song, frankly. And Wake Me Up Before You Go is just a pop song. And I think Careless Whisper is more than that. So there's no wrong choice here, in my opinion. Wake Me Up Before You Go, hugely popular, hugely influential for wham and george michael's career broke this band in in the u.s for sure um careless whisper is the song that i think has an iconic and um take a drink um it has a legacy that's still very relevant so chad where are you on this one uh i'm with careless whisper one of the things that i look for is uh how relevant are the songs still today and i mean the the saxophone solo from careless whisper is just everywhere mm-hmm. um wake me up before you go go that was in the gasoline scene in zoolander right yes yeah it's yeah a ton so, of I mean, movies it's, actually it, it's still around but like i don't know careless whisper it just seems like it's it's so much more ubiquitous and frankly i just can't get past the um wake me up before you go go don't leave me hanging on like a yo-yo like when you're talking about that's, that's 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 not ODB level right there. It's, it's not, not ODB level lyricism for it's sure, not. and that's kind of where my conversation ends. So definitely, Careless Whisper. Hey Chad, do you know who didn't do a good cover of Careless Whisper? Uh, Ghost. Gear. Oh, Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> that could have gone a lot of directions. It could have, but we went with Ghost. Um, Brian, where are you? 
I'm careless whisper all day, every day. All right. So that's uh, going to be advancing. I, I can't be mad about that. So before we get to these final four matchups, we're going to take another quick break to check up on this wild new electronic gaming system that Japan is apparently releasing. It's called a Nintendo. Have you heard of this? We'll let you know what we think right after these messages. And the Super Resniac Bros are back from the Mushroom Kingdom just in time for the final four of our best song of 1985 episode. Let's go ahead and look at this final four. It's Take On Me by AHA versus Everybody Wants to Rule the World by, is that Simple Minds? Tear for Fears. Tear for Fear, thank you. It's don't, what, it, what? I don't have it written here on my I'm notes. dealing with trained professionals here. You what is are, this, amateur tour? Oh, how dare you. Don't you forget oh. about me by Simple Minds versus Careless Whisper by Wham. As I pointed out while we were not recording, this is a sausage fest, and I was not anticipating that when we started. Um, I Although, when I think about it, there weren't that many female songs on the bracket overall, were they? There was no, there really wasn't. The Waves. Basically, Madonna. Yeah. And Madonna. Yeah. Madonna and Madonna, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. She got um, well, ousted. Todd, you were going to say something? No, no, just you're right. Like, there wasn't that many female fronted songs on the, uh, you know, to begin with. The indignity. I will say, though, you know, real quick, another song that um, I was a little surprised by was Strut by uh, yes. Sheena Eason. And yeah. I just heard that this morning while I was watching an episode of Good Girls uh, season four. Um, and it got me thinking, I'm like, hmm, I, I kind of almost regret not voting for that one. But another oh well. great song about sluts. That song is a bop. Yeah, it's a great song. Yeah. All right. So first one, take on me versus everybody wants to rule the world. We're going to go around the horn. I'm going to start with Chad. Where are you voting? Everybody wants to rule the world. I'm going to go to Todd. Uh, take on me. Brian. It's a very tough call for me because I love both of these songs and I voted for both these songs, obviously. But uh, ultimately, when I think of 80s music, I think of Take On Me. So I have to go with Take On Me. Yeah. Um, I'm So let me play devil's advocate here. If you take the video out of this equation and it's song versus song, not thinking about video, does that change your vote, Brian? <sighs> I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. And I, and I, and I was, I mean, I, earlier on, I mentioned that the video for take on me was, was obviously huge. Right. And you, you really can't hear the song without thinking about the video. And I totally get that. But even if I hear the song just by itself, just the, like you hear that song within the first five seconds, you know what it is. Like you're, you're, you're in. Um, and I, there's, I don't know, there's some songs to me that are just so quintessential to the time period that they were um, created and released in. And I feel like this is one of them. I will use your arguments against you here and say that AHA's take on me, while it is quintessentially 80s, is essentially a bubblegum song. There's no actual like heft to it. There's no message. Whereas everybody wants to rule the world, as I think you also pointed out, does have a very real message that was relevant very much in the 1980s and continues to be relevant for this day. So I do think, and honestly, I'm not even sure why I'm voting here, but I do feel as though... Um, if I'm looking at them, which is the better song, I do think everybody wants to rule the world as the better song, which is the better song for 1985. I think you can make more of an argument for take on me. Todd, are you still firmly in the take on me? Lane? Oh yeah. Oh okay. yeah. <laughs> uh, where, what? You do make a compelling argument, honestly, Eric. I, I, I can't deny what you just said. 
Um, there is, I mean, Take On Me is not as, as bubblegum as some of these other songs, but, you know, it, there's not, obviously not a strong social message. There's not a lot of depth to the song, but it's just, it's so crazy catchy in that falsetto chorus and stuff. There's just, there's just things about it that are just, you know, somewhat iconic, I think, for the time period. It's also, you cannot replicate that song. And this is like, it's, that video is like the moon landing of music videos. Like, it's crazy that it's 40 Absolutely. years old almost. And I've never seen anything come close to it since. Like, how have we not made a better video than Take On Me in 40 years? But we haven't. Like, even Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer, which I, was, I would also kind of put in that zone of, like, incredible 80s videos that are unimpeachable, I still think Take On Me is better. Um, and we've never had anything close to it. So Chad, are you still sticking with everybody wants to rule the world? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've talked a little bit about my rubric. Um, it's kind of a two faced thing where it's how was the song within the context of 1985. And on that front, take on me is the clear choice. Like, as you've said, quintessentially, uh, eighties, you know, immediately what era it's from when you hear just the first three notes. But then the second aspect of my rubric is, is that still relevant? What, what's the endurance of that song? And everybody wants to rule the world like that could that still seems relevant. It's still a, a composition that kind of holds throughout. And I mean, in terms of the yeah, message, human beings still suck. That's that's <laughs> kind of the idea. What's that? Human beings still suck. Not well, not yeah. really a big spoiler there. That was kind of what I was getting to is like, is it really prescient to be like everybody's, you know, fighting for power? Well, no, but um, take on me doesn't really cover any of that. So for me, like uh, everybody wants to rule the world has has the pop sound to it. It's got some guitar to it. It's got a really good, uh, well, two guitar solos, actually, the middle one and then the one at the end. Um, so just overall as a composition, I just like it better. But Take On Me also has a pipe wrench fight. I don't know if anyone's ever seen the literal <laughs> version of that video, but that's amazing. That is um, great. I will say that even if we are torn in right now, I still think I, I lean with you on this one, Chad. Take On Me would still advance because while they're both one seeds, Take On Me is the ultimate number one seed. It was the one that got the most votes from our voters. So I think- Well, at least they got something, right? There you go. I think it's going to have to advance, Chad. I'm sorry. No, I, I can't really even be mad about it. It just I mean, uh, when you're at the final four, it, it shouldn't be easy. Like no. these should not be easy decisions. If it if they were, then you know, there weren't very many good songs that year. And honestly, when you first told me about this and I pulled up the top one hundred for the year, I was like, Okay, um, there was a lot of good songs this year. Like I knew this was gonna be a struggle because just going through the top one hundred list there were a lot of really, really, really good songs. Yeah, and actually, thank you for that, Brian, because it's a good reminder. We will have a playlist that you can find on our website, greatpopculturedebate.com, in the bonus section that will have the 100 top songs of 1985. So if you're listening to this and you're just like, uh, what is that song they keep talking about? There you go. Go find it. We've made it for you. Um, can, I, can I jump on that for just a second? You can, please. So I, I want to preface this by I actually don't I don't actually believe this, but like it's kind of a fun thing that I think in the back of my head is um, like that the, the songs that were popular when somebody was born kind of inform and kind of like are a reflection of their personality and and, sure. and they kind of vibe with those. And it's very obvious looking at the songs that were popular when I was born versus the songs that were popular when you guys were born as to why I am the coolest and most fun of all of us. Because oh, yeah, all of your ideas are yeah. fucking terrible. Oh, oh my, my God. God. Yeah, nothing cooler and more exciting than chemistry. Uh, let me hey, 
if you guys were born in the right year, you probably would have come the same path too. Copacabana no, no. was the number one song in the month that I was born. <laughs> and I defy you to come up with a cooler fucking song than that. A man gets murdered, Chad. Um, hey, what song was Any it? one of these 16 is immediately cooler than that. But what anyway. Boo. All right. So let's get to that last t- final four matchup. It's Don't You Forget About Me versus Careless Whisper. Let's start with Brian. Um, Don't You Forget About Me is... It's funny. So when people say... Because I'm a metal guy, so I have to preface this because obviously people that are listening to this have no idea who I am and, and what I do. I, I got into metal you know, um, in my teen years and never really looked back. But when people have those questions like, if you could only listen to one song, if you could only listen to one album, blah, 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 blah. If I could only listen to one song for the rest of my life, I think it's Don't You Forget About Me. Really? Um, I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds insane. I, and obviously, I just shocked you guys with this revelation. But... It's just, you can't listen to this song without thinking about the Breakfast Club movie, which was just such a big movie for that time frame. And and I would argue, you know, if I sat my kids down right now and had them watch Breakfast Club, that there would still be enough. Yes, it'd be cringy. Yes, it'd be cheesy. Don't get me wrong. But I think there would still be enough emotional resonance in that movie to still connect to them today. Uh, I know that they have different problems today than they did back then. But a lot of that stuff holds true, man. There's still jocks and there's still geeks and there's still all this other stuff. There's just, they're so tied together. It's kind of like Take On Me with the video. That song is so tied together with that movie. And that movie is just, it's its iconic for me. Mm-hmm. Um, now, just speaking about the song, because I don't want to give the song short shrift. Um, it was their only number one hit. I was the only number one hit Simple Minds ever had. Fun fact, because this came up a little earlier on a different artist. This song was written for them, and they initially passed on it um, because they only wanted to do their own material. But they hadn't gotten a lot of commercial success in the United States. So um, I forget exactly who wrote it. I I don't have those notes from me. I apologize. But they passed it to a couple other people. A couple other people passed on it, ended up coming back around to them, and they ended up going ahead and recording it and realizing that they had something pretty special. They did add some stuff, you know, like the la 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 las. Mm. You know, that wasn't in the initial writing, so some of that stuff was added by Simple Minds as they as they recorded it. Um, but obviously, it ended up being a pretty good decision on their part. It actually stayed on the UK UK chart from 1985 all the way to 1987, which is kind of insane <laughs> if you think about it. Yeah, like that's a really long time for a song to stay on a chart. It's so it's either a really great song or the UK just has terrible music. I don't know which one of those. The UK has amazing yeah. pop music. No way. Well, then there you go. Yeah. And it must be a pretty damn great song. Um, so that's that's my two cents song. Don't you forget about me. Okay, Toddy, where are you? Um, honestly, for me, it's still careless whisper. Uh, this is one of those, like you said, like it's it's really hard when you get to the final four. Um, there's no doubt that "Don't You Forget About Me" is an iconic song. It absolutely is. Um, it's also true that I think it, to me, it's inextricably linked to that movie as well. I just think that Careless Whisper is also an iconic song, but it's not something that I necessarily, when I hear it, I don't associate it with any particular movie or any particular moment. It's just something that I can listen to anytime that it comes on and it just evokes, you know, a feeling, um, but it's not tied to like one specific moment or movie or, you know, piece of media or, or whatever. I just, it's just one of those songs that I think you can play it today. And is it going to sound a little outdated? Yes. But I think people will still absolutely um, like flock to that song. They'll accept that song. They'll enjoy that song for what it is. Uh, so for me, it's, it's still careless whisper. 
Okay, chatty. Uh, just borrowing off of something that Brian said, who'd have thought that a group named Simple Minds wouldn't be very good at writing their own music? That's very strange. <laughs> it's too bad. Uh, they, had some good, they had some good other songs. I mean, I don't know if a lot of people have really listened to some of their catalog, but they have some good other songs. It's it's a little sad that they didn't have more success. It was a crowded field for 80s pop rock bands, though. It was There was a lot out there. Um, but well, and you gotta remember, we didn't, there wasn't streaming back then. Right. right? So like, so back in that era, you know, you had to hear a song on the radio and then maybe you'd go and find a cassette, you know, or, and you'd have, or like something like, so it wasn't as easy. Like today, if a song like that came out, it's easy because you can just download it and you can listen to it or you can just stream it. You know what I mean? But back then you had to hear it on the radio first and then you'd have to go and seek it out. And it was just such a different thing. And I, I think that's one of those things that's really cool about, you know, you know, the technology we have today is, I hear new bands all the time. I hear new songs all the time that, you know, 20 years ago, I never would have had any exposure to any of this stuff. Um, so we're, we're super, super lucky uh, when it comes to things like that. Yeah, It's far easier for bands to break through now, but nobody's achieving the type of mega success that they were getting in the. No, you also don't have to make a whole album. Now you can just make a single, yeah. you know, whereas back in the day, that wasn't always the case. Yeah. Sure. But Chad, you were, you were saying, um, Careless Whisper, so as a confession, I had never actually heard the full song until I started doing the research for this podcast. Good God, man. I'd, I had only ever heard this. <laughs> I had only ever heard the saxophone solo. He was busy listening to We Built the City. Don't give him a give him a break. <laughs> That's he actually was, true. The number was, of plays I have on that song is probably more than any healthy human should have. So troubling. Knee deep in the hoopla. Um but, but <laughs> so you, you finally listen to it. It, it, have you guys ever heard the the song Jack Sparrow by The Lonely Island? I can't no. say I have. So Michael Bolden is a guest star on there, and like they they have it like he's coming into the recording studio, and he's like, "Guys, I wrote you this big sexy hook. I think you're really gonna dig." And that's what the Careless Whisper is to me. Is it's like when I first heard it, it seemed very disjointed, like it was three different songs. And then as I started listening to it, I started getting it a little bit more. Um, whereas, don't you forget about me? I honestly didn't even bother looking into it because i didn't think it was going to go very far like it just seems like a slightly above average 80s song to me but this is just blasphemous it's blasphemous <laughs> you're I, just being hurtful because of we built this city that's what this is <laughs> I, I i went down in saint elmo's fire in round two yeah so that's like that's what kills me you're gonna fight for saint elmo's fire over don't you forget about me don't Absolutely. you forget about me is so much better than saint elmo's fire you so much take better. that back just for that i'm voting for careless whisper <laughs> Oh, I see how it is. Absolutely. Well, just for that, I'm going to build a time machine. And I'm going to go back into 90, 1985, and we're going to make sure you don't ever make it to this podcast. Well, how about that? There you wow. go. Please. I was, that got I dark. I was Grim. waiting for the moment that we would tip over into fratricide. But oh, um, seriously, though, I, I think there's some interesting stuff here. Was there anything else you were going to say, Chad? Or No, I'm sticking with my spite vote for the moment. Spite vote for Careless Whisper? Yes. Okay. So I... um, You shouldn't be spite voting in the Final Four. That's ridiculous. No, absolutely. There's a long story tradition of Final Four I blame the voters. Absolutely. Um, But so let me say this. I think we haven't really talked about the content of either of these songs, really, like the lyrical content. And I feel like what it resonates with Don't You Forget About Me is it's that moment when you're in high school, you're just about to go out to the world you have no idea what's going to happen and you're a little bit worried like okay from here on out there's no plan like it's i'm on my own and i've got to figure this out careless whisper i think is super interesting in that it is a song about a cheater from the point of view of a cheater who feels really bad about it and knows they fucked up 
that is not something that you hear very often in music. You hear a lot of I've been cheated on um, or I'm going to cheat on somebody. I'm thinking specifically of Whitney Houston saving all my love for you, which we don't talk about how that is a song that's about a woman who's waiting to get banged out by her married boyfriend. Like uh, that is a weird like no talks about that. Um oh. I'm going to have to put that on my playlist, I it's, guess. It's a great song, but it's literally about a woman who is the other woman in a relationship. Um, I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah. So uh, in terms of which one has the most relevant – so Todd made a point that um, Don't You Forget About Me feels extremely 80s, whereas Careless Whisper feels timeless. And in a song of 1985 debate, I actually think that is a point towards – don't you forget about me because I want it to be something that it could only be from that particular era. And I do think careless whisper, while it definitely has an 80s sound to it, there's no question could have been some other time. I don't think there's any other time in history that you would get me in my opinion. That's, that's fair. Yeah. Um, you've swayed me. I I'm on. Don't you forget about me now. Okay. Todd, are you still sticking with careless whisper? Yeah. I mean, actually I think that the, the more uh, simplistic kind of composition of don't you forget about me. I think that song could have been recorded literally any time in the eighties. Really. Again, I think it's just because it was tied to that movie that, you know, that's how it's identified. But I mean, that could have been done by any number of groups throughout the eighties. I think it would have sounded very much the same. Mm. So interesting. Interesting. I do think right now we are three for don't you forget about me. One to careless whisper. Correct. Uh, I believe so. So that means Don't You Forget About Me would advance to final two against Take On Me. We're going to go around. That's spite vote. We're going to go around the horn. Todd, where are you? Take On Me versus Don't You Forget About Me. Take On Me. Chad. Take On Me for sure. Brian. Don't that's don't you forget about me. It's it's so hard. It's it's super coin flip type deal, but Don't You Forget About Me is just it's just that song for me. I'm going to go with Take On Me. Of the two, I think Take On Me is the more take a drink iconic. Um, and again, it was the ultimate number one vote in the poll, which does not always determine the winner, by the way. There are many times the ultimate number one gets knocked out. Uh, it feels like you're just trying to keep the voters happy. That's what it sounds like over here. I don't care about keeping the voters happy. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> I don't give a shit about that. Um, but Why don't you send them some stimulus checks while you're at there it? There you go. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to sign my name on them. Um, yes, that's very important. Do you Devil's wanted- advocate. Yes. Um Eric or Todd, if Careless Whisper had gone forward to mm. final two, would you have changed your vote? It would have uh, been a harder decision. No, I believe I still voted for Take On Me. Oh, no, I am lying. I actually did select Careless Whisper as my ultimate number one. So that was a lot. Wow. It but but again, like I said, like those, especially those three, I, I'll, I didn't say this because I know I'm going to get, I know Brian's going to just rip my ass apart, but <laughs> I am not, I'm not crazy about everybody who wants to rule the world. I did vote for it and up until the final four, I did, um, because I do understand like its significance um, and kind of the gravitas, I guess, for lack of a better word, that it had at the, at the time that it came out. I get it. Um, I just for whatever reason i just don't particular i don't hate the song i don't really love it um but yeah i mean between take on me careless whisper and don't you forget about me i, I mean I, you could flip a three-sided coin or a die or whatever you want to call it and i would have been happy with the result of any of those quite frankly i really would okay um brian anything else to say an argument for don't you forget about me or no no i mean i think i already said enough it's 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 tough, obviously. Um, they're both awesome songs. 
I just think I have a more emotional connection to Don't You Forget About Me than I do Take On Me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, ultimately, I love Take On Me. Like, so I'm not, like, mad that, you know, Don't You Forget About Me doesn't win. I love Take On Me. Like, that's a great song. Um, there's just an emotional component to Don't You Forget About Me that I don't think is there on Take On Me. That's fair. I think that is accurate. Um, I'll make one last point, and you could argue that Take On Me was so closely associated with that video, whereas Don't You Forget About Me is so closely associated with that film and that soundtrack. I think that's actually a very 1985 thing. MTV, you cannot discount how important that was in the pop music landscape of 1985. And as we said earlier, 80s soundtracks were really critically important in, in the music industry at that point. So the fact that these are both one hit wonder songs, ostensibly, at least in the States. I know AHA had hits over in Europe, but like two one hit wonder songs in the final two, one's associated with a video, one's associated with a movie. I feel like that's really 1985. So I think we did a good job getting here. Um, and there you have it, folks. Our pick for the best song of 1985 is Take On Me by AHA. Do you agree with our choice? Do you think we need to check the batteries in our Walkman? Let us know your pick by leaving a comment on this episode at greatpopculturedebate.com or yell at us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube. While you're there, make sure you like and subscribe for more Great Pop Culture Debate content. And if you really like what you heard, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon, which can get you access to more exclusive episodes, merch, and the ability to suggest episodes for us to do in the future. I want to say thank you to my panelists. If you had told me in 1985 that the four of us would be recording a podcast 37 later, I would have said, what is a podcast, you dork? And thank you in particular to Patreon Chad for sponsoring this episode, and thank you for listening. Our top-tier Patreon sponsorships are all snapped up, but you can still get tons of great perks by subscribing at patreon.com backslash greatpopculturedebate.com. Until next time, remember... Everyone is entitled to their wrong opinions. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.